Hello and welcome to the Anglo-Saxons in their own words. My name is Danny. Last episode, we talked about Bede and the origins of Britain. When we left off, the Emperor Diocletian had started persecuting the Christians of the Empire. Diocletian ascended to the throne in 286 AD, so Bede's narrative so far has brought us to the end of the 3rd century. For today's episode, we'll be looking at one of Bede's more famous stories, that of St. Alban. I'll be reading it to you first, and then we'll talk about who St. Alban was and the significance of the story in Bede's history. As I said at the end of the last episode, this is a really interesting story. So sit back, close your eyes, unless you listen to this while you're driving, and pretend you're an Anglo-Saxon for a minute. Reading Bede's history perhaps just a few years after it was completed, perhaps even hearing this story for the first time. Alright, let's listen to Bede tell us about St. Alban. Chapter 7 At that time suffered St. Alban, of whom the priest Fortunatus, in the praise of virgins, where he makes mention of the blessed martyrs that came to the Lord from all parts of the world, says, And fruitful Britain, noble Alban rears. This Alban, being yet a pagan, at the time when at the bidding of unbelieving rulers all manner of cruelty was practiced against the Christians, gave entertainment in his house to a certain clerk, flying from his prosecutors. This man he observed to be engaged in continual prayer and watching day and night, when on a sudden the divine grace shining on him, he began to imitate the example of faith and piety which was set before him, and being gradually instructed by his wholesome admonitions, he cast off the darkness of idolatry and became a Christian in all sincerity of heart. The aforesaid clerk having been some days entertained by him, it came to the ears of the impious prince that a confessor of Christ, to whom a martyr's place had not yet been assigned, was concealed at Alban's house, whereupon he sent some soldiers to make a strict search after him. When they came to the martyr's hut, St. Alban presently came forth to the soldiers, instead of his guest and master, in the habit or long coat which he wore, and was bound and led before the judge. Now it happened that the judge, at the time when Alban was carried before him, was standing at the altar and offering sacrifice to devils. When he saw Alban, being much enraged that he should thus, of his own accord, dare to put himself into the hands of the soldiers and incur such danger on behalf of the guest whom he had harbored, he commanded him to be dragged to the images of the devils, before which he stood, saying, Because you have chosen to conceal a rebellious and sacrilegious man, rather than to deliver him up to the soldiers, that his contempt of the gods might meet with the penalty due to such blasphemy, you shall undergo all the punishment that was due to him if you seek to abandon the worship of our religion. But St. Alban, who had voluntarily declared himself a Christian to the persecutors of the faith, was not at all daunted by the prince's threats, but putting on the armor of spiritual warfare, publicly declared that he would not obey his command. Then said the judge, Of what family or race are you? What does it concern you, answered Alban, of what stock I am? If you desire to hear the truth of my religion, let it be known to you that I am now a Christian and free to fulfill Christian duties. I ask your name, said the judge. Tell me it immediately. I am called Alban by my parents, replied he, and I worship ever and adore the true and living God who created all things. Then the judge, filled with anger, said, If you would enjoy the happiness of eternal life, do not delay to offer sacrifice to the great gods. Alban rejoined, These sacrifices which by you are offered to devils neither can avail the worshippers nor fulfill the desires and petitions of the supplicants. Rather, whosoever shall offer sacrifice to these images 
shall receive the everlasting pains of hell for his reward. The judge, hearing these words and being much incensed, ordered this holy confessor of God to be scourged by the executioners, believing that he might by stripes shake that constancy of heart on which he could not prevail by words. He, being most cruelly tortured, bore the same patiently, or rather joyfully, for our Lord's sake. When the judge perceived that he was not to be overcome by tortures, or withdrawn from the exercise of the Christian religion, he ordered him to be put to death. Being led to execution, Alban came to a river, which, with a most rapid course, ran between the wall of the town and the arena where he was to be executed. He there saw a great multitude of persons of both sexes and of diverse ages and conditions, who were doubtless assembled by divine inspiration to attend the blessed confessor and martyr, and had so filled the bridge over the river that he could scarce pass over that evening. In truth, almost all had gone out, so that the judge remained in the city without attendance. St. Alban, therefore, urged by an ardent and devout wish to attain the sooner to martyrdom, drew near to the stream and lifted up his eyes to heaven, whereupon the channel was immediately dried up, and he perceived that the water had given place and made way for him to pass. Among the rest, the executioner, who should have put him to death, observed this, and moved doubtless by divine inspiration, hastened to meet him at the appointed place of execution, and casting away the sword which he had readily drawn, fell at his feet, praying earnestly that he might rather be accounted worthy to suffer with the martyr, whom he was ordered to execute, or, if possible, instead of him. Whilst he was thus changed from a persecutor into a companion in the faith and truth, and the other executioners rightly hesitated to take up the sword which was lying on the ground, the holy confessor, accompanied by the multitude, ascended a hill, about half a mile from the arena. Beautiful, as was fitting, and of the most pleasing appearance, adorned, or rather clothed everywhere with flowers of many colors, nowhere steep or precipitous or of sheer descent, but with a long, smooth, natural slope, like a plain on its sides, a place altogether worthy, by reason of its native beauty, to be consecrated by the blood of a blessed martyr. On the top of this hill, St. Alban prayed that God would give him water, and immediately a living spring, confined in its channel, sprang up at his feet, so that all men acknowledged that even the stream had yielded its service to the martyr. For it was impossible that the martyr, who had left no water remaining in the river, should desire it on top of the hill, unless he thought it fitting. The river then, having done service and fulfilled the pious duty, returned to its natural course, leaving a testimony of its obedience. Here, therefore, the head of the undaunted martyr was struck off, and here he received the crown of life, which God has promised to them that love him. But he who laid impious hands on the holy man's neck was not permitted to rejoice over his dead body, for his eyes dropped upon the ground at the same moment as the blessed martyr's head fell. At the same time was also beheaded the soldier, who before, through the divine admonition, refused to strike the holy confessor, of whom it is apparent that though he was not purified by the waters of baptism, yet he was cleansed by the washing of his own blood and rendered worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then the judge, astonished at the unwanted sight of so many heavenly miracles, ordered the persecution to cease immediately and began to honor the death of the saints by which he once thought that they might have been turned from their zeal for the Christian faith. The blessed Alban suffered death on the 22nd day of June, near the city of Verulamium, which is now by the English nation called Verlumchester. Afterwards, 
when peaceable Christian times were restored, a church of wonderful workmanship and altogether worthy to commemorate his martyrdom was erected, in which place the cure of sick persons and the frequent working of wonders cease not to this day. The End All right, so let's talk about this story a little bit. Now, before diving in, we do need to remember one thing, and that is that Anglo-Saxon England and Christianity are inextricably linked. I mean, you really can't have one without the other. As we've seen with other cultures and other generations, the Anglo-Saxons' faith informed nearly all aspects of their lives. And remember, Bede's history is an ecclesiastical history, literally meaning relating to the church. Bede himself was a Christian monk and raised in the church, so we shouldn't be too surprised to hear stories like this from him. Now, the Anglo-Saxons, and Bede more specifically, are doing something here that so many people groups have done, that is, linking their history with a longer history, specifically their Christian history, one that dates back to before the Anglo-Saxons even arrived in Britain, all the way back to Rome. So who was Alban? Well, he was just a pretty regular guy from what we know, that is, until a clerk or priest came knocking on his door. He was a resident of Roman Britain and was pagan, but was evidently moved by this priest's dedication to his faith so much that he converted and even offered to take his place when the authorities came knocking, and this led to him being martyred for his faith. Alban is recorded as being Britain's first ever martyr, or proto-martyr, and as a result, he's pretty famous, claiming a prominent place in Bede's history. But it also wasn't just Bede who wrote of Alban. For another thing we know is that the Romano-British historian Gildas writes about Alban as well, meaning the cult of St. Alban actually existed well before Bede's time, and thus would have been well embedded in the Christian narrative of Britain by the time of Bede's writing. Alban is still famous today. There are many places named after Alban, not just in England, but also abroad. The original St. Albans is a city in Hertfordshire, England, just outside of London, and located near the Luton Airport. This place is also the site of the historic Roman town of Verulamium, which we hear about in Bede's history. But across England, too, there are also schools and churches named after this saint, and there's a swath of churches scattered across the Anglosphere also dedicated to him. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that are happening in this story. Um, It's a short story, but we have so much happening in a short length of time, and a lot of supernatural events. I mean, we have Alban sacrificing himself for a priest, we have a whole bunch of miracles, and then we have his execution. For starters, I do think it's interesting that this story really mirrors the Bible in a lot of ways. Alban, for example, offers to take the place of the priest when the authorities come. It's similar to the story of Christ, isn't it? That Christ, being righteous, took humanity's place on the cross, even though he was innocent of the crimes leveled against him. He didn't deserve death, just like Alban didn't. But he took humanity's place so that we could live. It really is interesting the amount of biblical themes that abound here. If you're at all familiar with the Bible, you'll definitely sense some similarities. At Alban's death, for example, when the executioner turns from his task and converts on the spot, it's very similar to the story of the thief who hung on a cross next to Jesus at the crucifixion. The thief repents and asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. This particular moment in the story could also be likened to the story of the Roman centurion. Tasked with overseeing Jesus' execution, upon witnessing Jesus breathe his last, the centurion is remarked to have said, 
Truly, this man was the Son of God. Alban is even whipped before he's executed, just as Jesus was. We also have the river drying up, which is very reminiscent of Moses and the Red Sea. Alban's thirst, too, reminds one of Jesus asking for a drink, just as he was about to die. Now again, we're not going to spend too much time debating what's factual and what's not in this podcast. But I want to ask the question, are these similarities coincidental? Why or why not? Why do you think Bede, or even Gildas, would include these stories? It's been contested that Alban may have been made up, or that the story of the martyr may have been embellished by later writers. But he was evidently a well-regarded figure in Anglo-Saxon Christianity, and had been thoroughly embedded in the historical narrative by the time of Bede's writing. So truthful or not, Bede obviously has his reasons for telling the story. As regards the miracles, I think what Bede is trying to demonstrate here is that what the Anglo-Saxons have heard from the Bible, what they've inherited in their Christian history, can also be true in their own country, in their own time. Basically meaning that God was and is active in working among the people of Britain, just as he was with the Israelites centuries earlier. That's it for today's episode, and I hope that gives you some food for thought and starts those wheels turning on the why of some of these stories that we're going to be looking at throughout this podcast. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, just email me at theanglosaxonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.